two, three, break. Down the middle of the field, it is caught. Loose football. Who's got it? Down at the one-yard line. How about that? That is the ultimate kibosh. <laughs> and we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the Editor-in-Chief of Fantasy Labs. I'm joined by Ian Harditz, the Director of the Fantasy Labs NFL Platform and an Action Network Analyst. You can follow him in the Action Network app at iHarditz. Ian, you know what week it is. It is the week we have been waiting for seemingly ever since the Super Bowl ended. And of course, what I'm talking about is the week of the AAF Championship uh, <laughs> I in an alternate reality. Uh, Ian, how's it going? Good until you reminded me of that, man. Crap. I, I thought I had all my AF tears out, but a couple more. No, it's good. It's good. It's, it's always a great week to be great, but especially draft week, and that means we're only uh, about seven days away from officially uh, being able to go all in on the NFL offseason. So it's an exciting time. Yeah, so I've been putting out one to two pieces on draft props each day. I have a mock draft up on the Action Network. I will release my final mock on Thursday morning, the day of round one. Of course, during round one, we'll be putting out player profiles for the skill position players once they are drafted. We will have pieces for day two and day three. On Friday after round one, Sean Corner, Chris Raybon, and I will update our seasonal fantasy rankings. After the draft, I will release my updated dynasty rankings and rookie rankings with analysis. Ian, you're going to be putting out some pieces after the draft. Basically, the draft is almost here, and then once it's over, the season is starting. That's the way I'm looking at it. So we will have a lot of content coming at you. And in this episode, we're going to look at my most recent mock draft, specifically the top 10, talk about changes I'm likely to make when I update it on Thursday. And through that, we're going to break down the market for draft props and find value in the bets that are out there. So Ian, let's get into it. Pick number one, assume the Arizona Cardinals hold on to this. Matt, you have them taking Kyler Murray, quarterback from Oklahoma. He's really been the main talking point of the entire draft process. It has been good to see that whether or not you believe uh, Kyler would go number one, I feel like the whole draft community has kind of accepted him as, at the very least, a top two quarterback uh, in this draft class, which why shouldn't he be? He just averaged the most yards per attempt in a season among any quarterback in college football history. And if you've watched him play for more than a quarter, you already know how ridiculous his rushing ability is as well. So, Matt, what are your best bets here with Kyler number one? And how concerned are you with these, I guess, recent rumors over the last week that the Cardinals could be perhaps overselling their interest in Murray? Yeah, this is sort of like the black swan situation. Like, if Murray doesn't go number one, everything that I think about this draft will crumble down. Because, like, so many bets are based on him going number one. Like, if he doesn't go number one, that means that Bosa probably goes number one. And, like, there are a lot of things that are built on the idea of Bosa going number two. So, it like it will be a, a cascading effect that will destroy my, my draft prop portfolio. So I'm uh, obviously hoping that doesn't happen. I was 
pretty aggressive with Murray early on once news broke that he wasn't going to report to athletic spring training. Uh, so I bet on him. I mean, this was a couple of months ago at plus 500 to be number one overall. That number obviously is long gone. The best number that's out there to be the number one pick is minus 500. I think it should still be closer to minus 800. I think there's actual value in minus 500. It's hard to know exactly what is going on, but they have they being the Cardinals, have isolated Josh Rosen to such an extent that it's hard to imagine that they are faking their interest in Kyler Murray. You know what I mean? Like when when the season schedule was released last week, they immediately put up a video that was like this hype video to get people excited about the Cardinals' upcoming season. And there literally was not one frame of Josh Rosen. Actually, let me rephrase that. There was one where you could like see him in the background, hidden behind all of these other teammates. Like for them to try to hype people up without having their starting quarterback in like a two-minute long video. Like I don't, I don't know what else I can point to. Like they clearly have moved on from Josh Rosen. So I think there's a lot of value in in Kyler Murray. There's also a, a bet whether he will be a top two pick. You can bet that at minus 1,000. That's a lot of juice to lay, but I think he's pretty much a near lock to be a a top two pick. Similarly, you can bet minus 1,000 for him to be the first quarterback drafted. I mean, I think he's, you know, probably like 95, 98% likely to be the first quarterback drafted. And even that feels conservative. So uh, there's some value there. Again, you have to lay some juice but uh, I think there is value in him. You can also bet on what team is going to draft him. Cardinals at minus 455, Raiders at plus 800. That one is a little bit interesting. I think it's going to be one of those two teams. Either it's the Raiders actually trading up so that they can get him, or it will be the Cardinals taking him. Um, So that might be one to think about. I'm not betting that, but if you kind of think that he's still going number one, but you expect that the Raiders are going to do something wild, something you know surprising with their top pick, which, I mean, has been reported. Uh, they have sent their scouts home because they are scared of people leaking what they are planning to do. So potentially, you know, they, they could be in the market for Murray. Uh, and then there's one prop that's caught my eye. Will he start in week one? You can bet yes at plus 140. I think he's almost a near certainty to start in week one, regardless of whoever drafts him. But um yeah, so that that is where I'm going with Kyler Murray. I am pretty much all in with him. Yeah, I think that's. A, I like the uh, idea of looking at the Raiders plus 800 because I do agree with you. He's almost assuredly going number one. The only potential mix-up I think could be is if someone happens to trade up to that number one spot to try to grab him from underneath Arizona. So we'll see how it plays out. But the number two pick, and uh, like you said, has been you've been riding this. Like most mock drafts have been riding this, but. San Francisco 49ers will most likely select Ohio State edge defender Nick Bosa. Bosa has really been dominant the last three years since he entered uh, Columbus, Ohio and got on campus. Only played, I believe it was two games his last season before he suffered a core injury during the TCU game. But he's really been the consensus top defender throughout this entire process. It's been good to see that he – because his brother Joey was also the top defender uh, during his draft, I believe, 2016 – But there was a part in like March after we had not played football for a while where there's a little bit of a backlash on Joey and people wonder if he had, you know, the elite bend, if he could be a double digit sack guy. I think Joey's early uh, pro success has kind of extinguished some of those doubts about Nick. So we have seen him just 
from really the start of the process and end the process, be a really highly ranked prospect, and deservedly so. The guy's a beast. So, Matt, what are your thoughts on Bosa, the number two, and what props do you like here? Yeah, so I've surveyed the most recent mocks for uh, like 20 draft Nick you know, guys, 20 experts that I, I mean, that I trust enough. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't go bet based on what any one of them said, but like as a collective, I think they give a pretty good sense of the range of outcomes, like what is possible. And literally all of them have Bosa going number two. <laughs> it's not to say that that is like a hundred percent lock, but I mean, I think that is clearly what is most likely to happen. And I think it's, you know, probably like 90% probability of happening and so you can bet on Bosa as the number two overall pick at minus 260 I think there's quite a bit of value there if you think there's a possibility he might sneak into the number one spot I mean it it could happen you never know if you think there's a chance of that happening you can bet under two and a half at minus 357 if you just want to give yourself a little bit more of coverage. Bosa going specifically at number two, minus 260. I think there's value there. If you even want to say he's going to go to the 49ers, you can bet minus 230. And I think that also is another way of playing it because more likely than not, the 49ers will stay at number two. And I think Bosa is the guy that they would clearly look to take there. Uh, You can also bet Bosa, if you don't want to worry about whether he's going number two, whether he goes number one, if a team trades up for him, whatever it is, if you want to bet on him as the first defensive lineman off the board at minus 280, that really might be the best way to go. Because as good as Queen and Williams is, uh, Josh Allen, any of the other guys, Ed Oliver, we should mention him, as good as those guys are, Bosa is clearly someone who is a cut above both in terms of the mocks and then in terms of the um, like the football guys who actually kind of like give their analysis and, and grade players. All of those guys say that the Bosa is the top defensive lineman. So if you don't want to have to worry about where he's going, you just think relative to all of these other guys, he's going to go as the first one off the board. I think there's a lot of value in minus 280. And then if you have, you know, like a great number on Murray as the number one guy and you want to hedge, you can bet on Bosa as the number one overall draft pick at plus 400. So that might be something to consider if you got a really good number on Murray earlier, or if you just think like, hey, there is an actual chance. I don't believe what the Cardinals are doing. I think they're looking to trade out or they're drafting Bosa. Yeah, this will be a real important situation to monitor going into next fantasy season because running backs have really just run all over the 49ers, uh, especially with Reuben Foster out, and he's obviously now well out of the picture. And they've added Quan Alexander in free agency already and adding Bosa to a defensive line with uh, DeForest Buckner. Could be pretty deadly, so we'll, we'll see how that works out. All right, number three pick in the draft. Matt, you mentioned him briefly, but you have the Jets selecting Alabama defensive tackle Quentin Williams. Probably the only defender that you could actually make an argument could be better than Bosa in this draft. Williams actually was PFS single best overall player in the 2018 season. I mean, he's six foot three, 300 pounds, and he runs like someone that's about 50 pounds less. I mean, really athletic and even better football player. And there's about no holes uh, uh, you can poke in Williams' game. The question here is, Matt, do you actually think the Jets are going to sit still and make a pick at number three? Oh, man. So this is where things really get interesting. 
And I think like in this conversation, it would also make sense to mention the Oakland Raiders at four and what they might be doing. I have them going in the most recent mock with Josh Allen, but uh, in, in the updated mock, I'm almost certainly going to change that. Within the past like five days, we've gotten a lot of conflicting information. A report has come out that the Jets really like Ed Oliver and Daniel Jeremiah, who is presumably very plugged in. He has mocked them with Oliver. But then at the same time, we had a, a report come out that um, the Jets really like Williams. And if he you know, drops to them at number three, which seems like a very realistic thing of happening, there are people in the NFL who don't think they will pass on him at number three. So there are a lot of different kind of viewpoints on what they might do. Regardless, we've also had a report coming out that Oliver is almost certainly kind of locked into the top five, that people are thinking of him now as, as a top five prospect, which makes sense uh, given that entering the 2018 college football season, he was presumably the number one pick. Like people were thinking of him entering the season as the number one pick. He flashed at his pro day with fantastic athleticism. It's easy to see why some people would like him more than Queen and Williams. Like those two guys are, I mean, I think it would be hard to sort of say which one is clearly better than the other one. And the Raiders really like Oliver reportedly as well. So out of what's happening with the Jets, what's happening with the Raiders, you have Williams, you had all, you have Oliver. And then of course there's like the reports. It's not even like one report. It's like common knowledge. It's known that the Jets are shopping the number three pick. Like they want to get out of that pick in part because they moved up in last year's draft so they could uh, get Sam Darnold. And so if they're able to move down, it will be a way to kind of recoup some picks and kind of even some things out from that trade last year. So there are like a lot of questions about what is going to happen. On top of that, you have the report mentioned earlier, Rap Sheet mentioned that the Raiders are looking to surprise with their top overall pick. You have all of these different things. And what's interesting is that within the prop market, there actually is one out there uh, where it is comparing the draft position of Williams to Oliver. Uh, Williams is minus 190 right now. Oliver is plus 140. Uh, I don't know if we should take that as gospel in terms of like what is likely to happen. If you are of the opinion that Oliver is likelier to go ahead of uh, Williams, and there are some pretty sharp people who are starting to move Oliver ahead of Williams, that might be the thing to do. There's some pretty good value there. You can actually bet on whether the Jets are going to trade the number three pick. Uh, It is minus 112 to do that. I don't know if I would do that, but I might project them to trade that pick in my upcoming mock. And speaking of trades, right now you can actually bet, will there be a top 10 pick traded on draft day? Yes, is minus 700. Uh, I like that one quite a bit. In eight of the past 10 years, a top 10 pick has been traded and it's actually happened 15 total times in the last decade. Uh, So I think there's some value there. One thing you'd maybe want to consider is um, it looks like it's either going to be Williams or Oliver at number three, if the Jets keep that pick. And right now you can bet on Williams plus 220 at number three and Oliver plus 280 at number three. Uh, So that might be a way of looking to kind of cover your bases there if you think the Jets actually will end up keeping that pick. Uh, and of course, there, are all, there also is an arbitrage opportunity, assuming Williams doesn't go one and two, which I think is a pretty safe assumption. I think Murray and Bosa are very likely to be at the top of the board. You can bet on Williams at number three 
at plus 220. And then you can go on the other side, bet over three and a half at minus 115 at another book. Uh, So you can lock in some profit, again, assuming that he doesn't go one and two. You could also look to bet on Williams to the Jets at plus 300. And if they trade down to number six, let's say like the Giants move up to number three to draft a quarterback, they could still potentially get Williams at number six. Uh, just based on how how the board could fall. You could have Oliver drafted. You could have a quarterback drafted. You could have Devin White, the linebacker, drafted. And, of course, Josh Allen could be drafted. So Williams could still fall to the Jets even if they trade down. One thing that I think this highlights the most is that Josh Allen does not seem likely to be a top three pick anymore. Even just a week or two ago, it seemed like it was pretty much a toss-up between whether it was going to be Josh Allen at number three or Williams at number three. And now it doesn't look like Josh Allen is going to be, I don't want to say anywhere near the top three, but it seems pretty certain he's not in the conversation to be the third guy off the board. So you can bet, will Josh Allen be a top three pick? You can bet no at minus 240. Or specifically, you can bet Josh Allen, not the number three pick. You can bet that at minus 205. And I think that there's some value there. So that is is kind of where I'm thinking. And thinking about Ed Oliver in particular, if you are of the opinion that the recent hype around him is something that is um, indicative of what we might see on draft day, then there's some value out there. You can bet his draft position under six and a half at minus 115. Um, So whether he goes to the Jets, goes to the Raiders, uh, the Buccaneers, I mean, you know, like maybe even the Giants, if they decide to uh, to pass on quarterback because they think that Oliver is such an outstanding talent that they have to take him. Minus 115, there's a lot of value there. And if you want a couple more picks of leeway, you could go under eight and a half at minus 200. But uh, Josh Allen, over three and a half, uh, you can bet that at minus 223. Um, I think that's pretty reasonable considering he's not in the discussion for the Jets at this point. And uh, if you think that he's not even going to be in the discussion for the Raiders or whoever is picking number four, you can bet over four and a half at plus 130. Uh, and I think that is also something that is reasonable to to do considering all of the other options on the board at that point. Yeah, I mean, it'd certainly be a surprise if, if uh, we do see Oliver uh, pop up in the that number three or number four spot. I just... I do think it will be Williams. He just seems like the safer pick. I mean, just looking at Bama competition versus Houston competition, Williams has an extra inch, an extra 20 pounds. I mean, you said it before. I mean, Ed Oliver, he really has been a consensus top five pick almost in every mock draft before the end of uh, this season, just with how good he's been uh, since the day he stepped foot on a college field. But it is surprising to me that we have two defensive tackles seemingly overtaking Josh Allen who has kind of widely been considered the number two edge rusher in the draft class behind uh, Bosa. I was actually, I did an article looking at 14 different uh, college football awards to see how the award winners uh, in college went on to do in the NFL. And one of the metrics I looked at was just total number of all pros the awards had uh, gotten. And Josh Allen, who won the Bednarik Award and then the the Gursky Trophy, which are awarded to some of college football's best overall defensive players, uh, specifically in the front seven. Those were the two awards most correlated with all pro success. And Josh Allen did capture those in 2018. So I'm very high on Josh Allen's uh, NFL potential. And it is interesting to me to see him kind of get pushed out of the top five. But, hey, it would be a surprise. And uh, it's a crazy time of year. So moving on to number five, we're sticking at the defensive side of the ball. But now we're moving over to linebacker. You have the Buccaneers selecting Devin White out of – 
LSU. And if you guys have not seen Devin White play, just put on his highlight film and you'll, you'll get, you're going to see some sideline to sideline speed that is truly just special. I mean, we've seen kind of linebackers in recent years, years take a step back to pass rushers and cornerbacks, maybe deservingly so. But there still has been the special mold of three down backers like Roquan Smith, Reuben Foster, pre-injury Jalen Smith where they can stop the run, they can cover running backs and tight ends, and they can rush the quarterback. And that's exactly what Devin White is. Matt, why do you see Devin White going number five? And I'm also curious, I agree with you, but why do you have Devin White ahead of Devin Bush from Michigan? So it's a few things with uh, White to the Buccaneers. One, I mean, they have a need at the position. And uh, I mean, I think Evan Silva has said that like it's the worst kept secret of this draft that they really want Devin White. I would have slotted them with a pass rusher. In fact, I, I think I did in my first mock draft because I think that's just a, a bigger need and it's a more impactful position. And if, uh, if Josh Allen falls below number four, if he falls to the Bucks, I might have to rethink this because I just, I mean, I can't see a reasonable NFL decision maker. <laughs> of course, he knows if, how many of those there are, but I just, I don't know if I can see someone actually saying, no, I prefer uh, Devin White to Josh Allen. So I might make that change. I don't know if I will, though. Uh, in terms of White over uh, the other Devin, uh, Devin Bush, the thing that's interesting is that um, they entered the combine, I think, with White as the clear top prospect at the position. But like Bush, I think, was much bigger and much more athletic than people thought, like in comparison to White. So like White is only an inch taller. He's only three pounds heavier. He ran, I believe, like a 4.41 or 4.42. Bush ran a 4.42 or 4.43. Like they were almost identical in terms of like some of like the key metrics that you look at. So what's amazing is how similar they are in that regard. And yet, even though everyone says that Bush is a, a very good number two option to Devin White. Like maybe even the guy that would be preferred, considering that you can get him for a little bit cheaper, literally all mock drafters still have White ahead of Bush. Like I haven't seen one who has Bush ahead of White. So you can actually bet first linebacker off the board. You can bet on White minus 480. I've actually seen that number as high as 1,000 at some books. Uh, so you have to shop around a little bit, but uh, I think you actually can find that prop at a reasonable number. Uh, and I think it, it's worth it uh, just considering how highly people think of white. And even though people like Bush, the consistency with which everyone is, is projecting white to go ahead of Bush. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. We had four straight defensive players come off the board, but at number six, you have the Giants addressing their post-Eli Manning. No one knows when that era will be, but whenever Eli Manning hangs it up, you're looking at Dwayne Haskins from the Ohio State University taking over under center. Uh, Haskins led the nation with 50 touchdowns last season. Uh, I mean, Ohio State, they, they do do a lot of those pop passes and spread concepts, but at the same time, he did demonstrate the ability to make NFL-level throws all over the field, absolutely tore up Michigan, had a great game against Washington. Only problem is, Haskins only had 14 starts, and he really hasn't shown much of an ability to create once the play breaks down. So there's questions on how he'll deal with uh, NFL pressure and things of that nature. So, Matt, why do you think Haskins will be Eli Manning's successor over the likes of Daniel Jones or, dare I say, Drew Locke? Oh, man. I, I mean, I don't at, at <laughs> this point. I, um, 
So the last mock I did, I, it was released on Wednesday of last week. And um, I mean, I just, I was so resistant to Daniel Jones as a first rounder um, just because I don't think he actually has that, that talent. But NFL people, uh, presumably, they think he, he does. Um, and I'm not going to, you know, like bang my head against the wall uh, and, you know, like be wrong about this, uh, you know, when you're actually betting on it. So, I, I mean, I can't believe it, but I, I think this is going to come down to if, if Josh Allen falls to the Giants, which like it is possible that he actually could fall to number six. If he falls to the Giants, I think it's going to be a decision uh, between Josh Allen or Daniel Jones. Part of me thinks that it might be a smokescreen um, and that they are interested in Dwayne Haskins, but, and we've seen that reported out there, but I mean, you know, we've also seen reported by a pretty credible source, Charles Robinson. uh, I mean, he came out and said, like, there is one team who has Daniel Jones as the number one quarterback on their board, and you know who that team is. Um, (laughs) You know, like, he can't say, I mean, I just, he couldn't say, I guess because of his source or whatever, he couldn't say which team it was, but literally no other team has been linked to Daniel Jones the way that the Giants have have been. And before that rap sheet reported that there are more than a few people in the NFL expecting the Giants to draft a quarterback at number six. Now, I mean, rap sheet has his misses, you know, so it's hard to know exactly how much stock you want to put in that, but it just makes so much sense for them to address the quarterback position. Like even if they have Daniel Jones as their number one guy, and even if they know that they are higher on him than the rest of the league, there are still teams before their number 17 pick that would potentially draft him, right? Maybe the Broncos at 10, maybe the Bengals at 11, maybe you have the Dolphins at 13, and then the Redskins in their own division at 15. Like, if they have a quarterback they really prefer, they can't pass on him at number six and risk him going to someone else, especially because everyone knows that that is the guy that they want. So I think in my updated mock, I am going to have Daniel Jones going to the Giants at number six. And I I can't believe it. But, like, this this isn't a mock about what I would do. This is a mock about what I think the idiotic – uh, giants might do. So that's, that's where we are. So, uh, I mean, if you want to hedge a little bit and think that this really is going to be Haskins and that like all of this hype for Daniel Jones is basically just a smokescreen. That's fine. You can bet on it. You can bet Haskins at plus three fifty to the giants. You could also bet Allen plus 600 to the giants. If he falls to the giants at number six, I mean, it, it, I don't know. Like, it's hard to imagine him falling to number seven. You know what I mean? So if the Giants are there, there might be some value in Allen at plus 600. I'm not going to bet that. I'm also not going to bet on Haskins plus 350. But, um, yeah, it's, that's an option if you are thinking that the Daniel Jones thing is not going to happen. You can also bet on the Giants uh, to draft a quarterback with their first pick at plus 175. Uh, that might be the way to go. Uh, you can also bet on Daniel Jones. This one's really interesting. I think you can bet on him to be the second quarterback off the board at plus 350. I think that's quite a bit of value if you are buying that Daniel Jones actually is the guy the Giants are looking to draft. Again, I don't want to say you have to assume they're going to draft him uh, with their first pick, 
but you have to assume that they're going to be aggressive in getting him given that they have two picks. So uh, I think there is some value there in Daniel Jones at plus 350 as the number two quarterback off the board. There is an arbitrage opportunity uh, since this is, I guess, the spot to talk about Haskins. There is an arbitrage opportunity with him in terms of his draft position. Uh, At one book, you can bet on him over 10 and a half at plus 125 and another book at under plus 100. Uh, So that's one thing to consider. And if you think it is likely that Haskins goes to the Giants or maybe the Broncos at 10, Bengals at 11, Dolphins at 13, all of them could take a quarterback. If you think that is likely, uh, there is value in betting his draft position under 13 and a half at minus 150. And I think that is probable. Like, I don't, I don't think he's going to fall out of the top 13. It, I mean, it could happen, but even though the Dolphins are like in full-on like tank mode, you have to think that they would really consider taking Haskins if he falls to them at 13. So I think there is value in Haskins under 13 and a half. I like those props. And last thing on uh, Daniel Jones. So I wanted to get an idea of where Jones uh, as a collegiate quarterback. So I heard that he helped elevate his teammates at Duke and his coach was even giving uh, Peyton Manning comparisons with his pre-snap reads. I mean, just ridiculous notions like that. So I wanted to give the guy a chance. So I went ahead, I took the, Total career in college, yards per attempt among the last 16 first-round quarterbacks, just the last five years. The bottom three were Jared Goff and Josh Allen, who each averaged 7.8 yards per attempt. And then we had Paxton Lynch at 7.4. No one is even close to under seven, except Daniel Jones, who's at 6.4 yards per attempt throughout his career, a full yard underneath any other first-round quarterback we've seen in the last five years. I was incredibly out on Josh Allen uh, going into last uh, season, and I probably should have given him a little more respect with his overall athleticism and uh, big arm. But I'm I'm saying right now I am fully out on Daniel Jones this year and forever. He will not be a good NFL quarterback. And you can put that in the newspaper headlines, folks, because it's it's happening. Yeah, Josh Allen, I mean, he looks like Andrew Luck in comparison to Daniel Jones. So it's just, yeah, it's, it's befuddling, but this is where we are. Yeah, I'm with you, though. I mean, the mock drafts, you're, you're trying to predict what they're going to do. You're not giving your what you would do. So I, yeah. I, I respect it there. So, all right, moving on to Jaguars at number seven, staying on the offensive side of the ball. Offensive tackle from Florida, Jawan Taylor. He uh, played mostly right tackle in college, but we're talking about a three-year SEC starter here. Longtime Brown stud left tackle Joe Thomas has spoken really highly about Taylor. Uh, And overall, I mean, teams in the top 10, I think, in general, uh, it's probably safe to assume they don't have the best offensive line because they're picking in the top 10 of the draft. And anytime you can get an elite offensive tackle, uh, it's a good thing to do. But, Matt, I do wonder how – Elite is Taylor as the uh, tackle prospect, do you think? Because I do feel like uh, college football's increasing reliance on a kind of air raid and spread offenses. It has made uh, the transition for offensive linemen a little bit tougher because they're just so used to pass blocking all the time. But is he the real deal? It's weird. He's not the number one tackle on my board. Uh, I still have Jonah Williams ahead of him. But there are people who are talking about Williams as a guard or maybe a potential center. Uh, just because of his arm length. But I thought Williams was pretty impressive last year. Uh, And as you mentioned, Taylor is a a right tackle. I don't want to say he's like just exclusively a right tackle because maybe he could have some potential on the blind side. But he's pretty much a right tackle. uh, And he's much more of a run blocker than a pass blocker. Um, But I think that fits in with the Jags and what they want to do. 
Like they need help at right tackle. And this is a run first team. And um, he is widely regarded as the best run blocking tackle in this draft. Andre Dillard is someone who is interesting to me out of Washington state, because I think he's clearly the best pass blocking tackle in the draft. And I think I did at one point have him mocked to the Jags at number seven, but there are just so many people who are hyping up Taylor saying that he is a top 10 guy specifically linking him to the Jags. And these are like people whose mocks I respect, but then also people in the industry who don't do mocks, um, but who just, you know, kind of analyze these players. Uh, And they are talking about Juwan Taylor as a guy who really should be in the top 10. And you see that reflected in the props that are in the market, right? So uh, uh, Taylor's draft position that line is seven and a half. You can bet over at plus 100. You can bet under at minus 120. I think that's pretty tight. So I don't really, that, like, I'm going to stay away from that. And you can draft, you, you can bet on him as the first offensive lineman drafted at minus 143. I'm not really a fan of that either because I think it is possible that uh, Dillard could end up going ahead of him just because of his superiority as a pass blocker. But I, I mean, I think what you see reflected in the market is the likelihood of him going to the Jags at seven. Yeah, there's definitely plenty of teams in the top 15 that could use uh, one of these offensive linemen. But yeah, I'm with you. It it is tough to tell uh, which of these guys will ultimately be the first one selected. I mean, one thing that that I do like about Dewan Taylor is that he's pretty young. um, So there's a lot of potential there for him to develop. Uh, he was a, he's a true junior. He was a three-year starter in the SEC, which, I mean, that's like, that's not easy. That's got to be respected. Again, he was a total dominator as a run blocker, uh, which fits with what the Jags want to do. Uh, and I think I read that he was like pretty chunky whenever he entered Florida and like, he's just totally remade his body with strength training, working out nutrition, and even supplements that uh, he got through Roman. I mean, I'm not saying that he had a problem with erectile dysfunction. I'm just imagining that if he had taken whatever the good doctors at Roman give their patients, he could have improved his performance while exerting himself in the gym or, you know, wherever. Uh, I bet he visited Roman because it is an easy way to get checked out by a doctor and treated online. Roman is a one-stop shop. Licensed U.S. physicians can diagnose ED and ship medication right to your door. With Roman, there are no waiting rooms, awkward face-to-face conversations, or uncomfortable trips to the pharmacy. You can handle everything discreetly online. All you have to do is visit GetRoman.com slash NFLPod, fill out a brief medical onboarding, chat with a doctor, and get FDA-approved ED meds delivered to your door in unmarked packaging. Guys, go online and get checked by the doctor. Get into the end zone with Roman. Wait a minute. You know what? We should change that to something more befitting of an offensive tackle. Pancake a defender with Roman. For a free online visit, go to GetRoman.com slash NFLPod. That is GetRoman.com slash NFLPod. For a free online visit, GetRoman.com slash NFLPod. Ian, let's get back to the mock draft. I was slightly offended when you cut me off and then I realized you're going into an award-winning uh, ad read. So it's all good. You are forgiven, but thank you. As I was saying back to the number eight pick, the Detroit lions, we're going back to the defensive side of the ball. And for right now you had Rashawn Gary, but as we'll get to, that's probably changing because while Gary has explained just ridiculous athleticism for his size, and he's, I mean, even coming out of high school, he's one of the nation's top recruits. So anytime his football services have been available, he's been a highly sought after prospect. But we did get reports from Rap Sheet that he's dealing with a labral tear, specifically 
Uh, he suffered this injury on his shoulder from college, but most reportedly believe he can play this season uh, through the injury and then possibly uh, repair it with surgery afterwards. But this is something that's going to have to be managed, and obviously uh, teams will take into his account with his draft stock. So, Matt, what do you think here about pick number eight and Gary's draft stock in particular? Yeah, so both with pick number eight and pick number nine going to the Bills, um, there's just a lot of uncertainty from the mock that I I did to the mock that I'm going to uh, publish on Thursday morning. So I had Ed Oliver going to the Bills at nine, and obviously like that pick just seems wiped out, uh, presuming he's going in the in the top five. So yeah, with Gary specifically. I am almost certainly going to move him down on this news because there were there were significant questions about him anyway. So he wasn't nearly as productive in college as people would have expected him to be. I don't know how important that is for edge rushers. Like what has been most predictive of success in transitioning to the NFL for edge rushers is just pure athleticism. And Gary clearly has that. Like he he was an athletic marvel at the combine. But Man, it's it's a situation with that labrum where I could see it knocking him down just far enough where uh, there are teams who maybe would have been interested in him and maybe would have overlooked his lack of production in college who now don't want to have to deal with something else. And on top of that, there are questions about – I mean, I, I say he's an edge defender, but that's not like written in stone. Like he might be presumably too big to play as a pure edge rusher. So there are questions about whether he's he's an edge, whether he's a 3-4 defensive tackle or a 4-3 tackle. Like there are questions about how he would fit into any scheme. And for me, mocking him to the Lions, that was something of a virtue in that in Matt Patricia's defense, which wants to be able to use multiple fronts, uh, he could be a guy who could play in multiple fronts and who could play multiple positions in different fronts but with the shoulder injury, I'm probably going to be pushing him down. So his, uh, his over-under is 9.5, over minus 267, under uh, plus 185. Like minus 267 might be a little rich for me, but if I were to lean one direction, at this point I would probably be leaning over. Uh, one guy I had thought about was Montez Sweat, but he's also dealing with his own issue. Uh, he has a heart condition. Before the heart condition issue was really brought up, Sweat to the Lions at number eight was a popular pick. Uh, And you can see that based on the fact that the over-under in the market for him is seven and a half. But now if you want to bet the over, you have to lay minus 400. Um, So I did write an article on the Action Network about I would take the over, but I wouldn't bet it any more than minus 400. And then... um, so there's the question of what do you do with the Lions and the Bills? And TJ Hawkinson, uh, the tight end from Iowa, is one potential way you could go. Uh, and he has been mocked both to the Lions and to the Bills. And it makes sense. The Lions tried to trade for Rob Gronkowski last offseason. And Hawkinson is a lot like Gronk, just in terms of his style of play. He's also mocked to the Bills. They need some tight end help. Um, and, you know, you could see how he could fit in with what the Bills want to do. He would be a really good receiving option for Josh Allen, but he would also be very strong in run defense, sorry, in, in, uh, in, in run blocking. Uh, so you could see him going to the Bills, and his over-under is 9.5. So you can bet under at plus 100. There's also an arbitrage opportunity. You can bet the over at plus 120 at another book. But uh, under for Hawkinson at plus 100 is interesting. I'm somewhat doubtful that I'm going to have him mocked in the top 10, 
it almost never happens with tight ends that they are drafted in the top 10. Uh, it happened with Ebron four years ago, but you know, OJ Howard, even just two years ago, people thought he was basically a perfect prospect that he might go in the top 10 and he wasn't drafted till number 19. Um, so I don't know if I'm going to be betting on uh, Hawkinson's draft position. So I might take the arbitrage opportunity there. One thing I will be looking to do potentially is Hawkinson as the first tight end off the board. At this point, the best number out there is minus 345, which uh, does feel kind of aggressive, but uh, I have a bet with Davis Maddock that he will be the first off the board. And that's just straight up at you know like plus 100. Uh, you can bet on Noah Fant at plus 650 as the first tight end off the board. Uh, and that is potentially interesting. You can also bet on any tight end other than Hawkinson as the first tight end off the board at plus 750. Uh, and that might be the way to go because if it's not Hawkinson, it is 100% fans who will be the, the first tight end drafted. So there is the opportunity there for arbitrage. Um, there are lots of ways that you can approach that. Um, I don't know if I would do Hawkinson at minus 345 as the first tight end off the board because it is possible that uh, a team could prefer Fant because of his uh, his superior athleticism and they might be looking for more of a move tight end instead of the the inline guy. But like if you are sold on Hawkinson as the guy who is going first, minus 345 isn't a horrible number to find. Yeah, I agree with you. It's definitely between Hawkinson and Fan. I mean, Irv Smith Jr. might be the uh, no, kind of consensus number three tight end, but he's looking kind of best case will be uh, end of round one. I don't think yeah. he'll be competing for one of these topper, uh, top 10 or 15 spots. Big thing with Hawkinson, I do wonder if we'll see a little bit of, uh, let's see, like a, a FOMO effect from the NFL. Like they don't want to miss out on this next really good uh, Iowa tight end. Because, I yeah. mean, look, Hawkinson just had – he had Last season, he had 49 catches for 760 yards and six touchdowns. Th- those receptions and yards were more than George Kittle totaled in his entire Iowa career. So I think, uh, you know, we figured out that, especially in college, I think it's especially hard for tight ends, even if you are really good, uh, to get the amount of targets needed to put up some gaudy numbers. So it will be interesting to see in future years as tight ends uh, continue to become more and more involved in offenses if teams are more willing to draft them higher up. But, yeah, I'm with you now. It's, it's tough to say if they'll be uh, top 10 for the time being, but the talent is definitely there. All right, now for the number 10 pick. You thought we were done talking about quarterbacks. You were wrong because we have John Elway taking another one. Uh, Drew Locke from Missouri. Look, he's he's pretty much like probably exactly what John Elway wants in a quarterback. He's got a big arm. He's got the size, the quote-unquote look of an NFL quarterback that you know some of these old-school heads will just love. Uh, concerns are kind of centered around his downfield accuracy and also just how he'll perform against higher-level competition. Yes, he played at Missouri, but he went 11-20 and 20 career against the SEC and 1-9 and versus ranked opponents. So obviously quarterbacks don't have everything to do with wins and losses, but it is a little bit concerning to see uh, that pitif- pitiful performance. But Matt, explain what you mean when you send your mock draft that Locke is the quintessential non-analytics pick. Yeah, he's just a uh, you know the strong-armed guy where if you look at the numbers – You'd be like, yeah, uh, he wasn't highly accurate. Um, he didn't have a good adjusted yards per attempt. Not a a great runner. Like there were just lots of things not to like about him. But if you were just looking at the tape, you know, and you're like, oh yeah, that guy has some traits. Like he's a quote unquote toolsy quarterback. Like I would expect an old school quarterback like Elway to look at 
someone like Locke and be like, yes, that is a guy who can play quarterback for my team. So I don't know. That's that's kind of where I am. And there has been a lot of smoke about the Broncos really liking Drew Locke. That said, we do have a you know a report from Daniel Jeremiah saying that he is expecting or that others in the league are expecting uh, the Broncos, in addition to the Dolphins, to wait on quarterback. You know, maybe they like someone like Will Greer, and maybe they think they can get him in the second round. Uh, so maybe even though they like Drew Locke, you know, this is John Elway, presumably, you know, drafting for his job. If things don't work out this year, he might be gone. So maybe he doesn't want to draft a quarterback with his first pick just to sit that guy behind another quarterback he traded for and have that situation go against him. So I might go with Devin Bush here in my updated mock, or I might go offensive line, I, which is what I did in, in the first mock I did, like in February. I went with an offensive lineman thinking like, there's no, there's no decent quarterback here on the board. They're not going to reach. Um, but then the Drew Locke thing kind of blew up. So I don't know. Uh, but if, if it's true that they are truly going to wait on the position, I think it's either Devin Bush. Uh, you could see Vic Fangio wanting a linebacker in the middle of that defense. Uh, and I think Bush would be a good candidate. Uh, or maybe they go offensive line. And if you think that it's a coin flip between Devin White and Devin Bush in terms of who is the first linebacker drafted, you can get someone other than White at plus 500. And, you know, I think there's, there's value there if you think that those two guys are really close and that it is a true coin flip in terms of who will go first. So that might be something to consider. I'm not going to do that because I've, like, I'm already invested in White. And I invested in him before the line moved. But, um, yeah, I think White is – I mean, they're, they're similar, but I think White is going to be the first guy off the board. Uh, in terms of Drew Locke for his draft position – there are an, a number of numbers out there, uh, ranging from 10.5 to 13.5, and, uh, and you can bet under 10.5 at plus 140. So, uh, I mean, at this point, the market is indicating it is not expecting him to be drafted at number 10, right? It's not expecting him to be drafted by the Broncos, uh, which is, I think, a, a decent indication for why I should move him in my next draft. But that said, the market is expecting him to be drafted somewhere between like picks 11, 12, and 13, because over 13 and a half is plus 110. So that is kind of like the range of where the market is settling for Drew Locke. I don't know how much stock I want to put in that, in like that representation for the market and what's happening in different books, but um, that is kind of the range for where he might go. One thing that is interesting, there is a prop out there for Haskins versus Locke. And so if you prefer Haskins, you can bet on him at minus 155. Uh, If you prefer Locke, you can bet on him at plus 115. I prefer Haskins, but um, I'm probably going to stay away from that line in general just because I'm not – I feel like I don't have an accurate sense at this point of how the NFL is viewing Locke or Haskins. Yeah, there's a lot of mystery going on behind Kyler Murray uh, at the moment. Make sure you all uh, go on Action Network, check out Matt's full mock draft. And Matt, you said Thursday morning you'll have your final update there? Yes, Thursday morning. Thursday morning. Make sure you check that out. We still do have uh, some more props to go over from picks uh, 11 through 32. So next prop we're going to look at is how many round one quarterbacks will it be? Right now the over-under is at three and a half. So from my understanding, Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins are surefire, don't even need to really discuss it. 
it seems like there's plenty of smoke around Drew Locke and Daniel Jones. Then we haven't even talked about Will Greer, who's kind of the analytic community's uh, dark horse in the race to potentially be a first-round pick, even if he's a little bit older, doesn't have all the physical tools. So could see potentially as many as five quarterbacks go in the first round. But I don't know, Matt, this three-and-a-half uh, total seems a little bit low. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I um... – you know, for over a month was saying like this number just fills off because I just didn't buy Daniel Jones. Um, but you know, now unfortunately I'm buying Daniel Jones. So, uh, yeah, you can find this as low as minus two fifty, and at some books I think it's as high as like four hundred. Uh, so you kind of have to to shop around for it if you are just obstinate in your belief that Daniel Jones will not be a first rounder, you can bet under three and a half at plus 300. Um, so you, you have to shop around, but you can find value on either sides of this line. And then for Will Greer, it's interesting, as you mentioned, maybe he could sneak into round one. I kind of doubt it, but um, his draft position over under is 37 and a half, which is pretty close to round one. You can bet the under at plus 145. Uh, and I, I am taking that side of it. Uh, I like him. I think he's the number three quarterback in this class in terms of skill. And maybe a team like the Patriots uh, will draft him at number 32 so they can have that uh, fifth-year option on him. Uh, maybe they trade down a little bit and draft him. Um, I think he has some real NFL potential. But um, I don't know, 37 and a half. Like, look at, it, look at it this way. Last year was a really good year for quarterbacks. And there were five of them drafted under 37 and a half. I don't, I mean, this year doesn't come close to last year's quarterback class. I don't know if I want to say Will Greer as the fifth quarterback is going to be drafted under 37 and a half. I just, I kind of don't buy it. So I'm, I'm willing to take under uh, plus 145. Yeah, I'm on the underside with you as well on that one. All right, one position we haven't talked about so far is running back. And in your mock draft, you do not have a running back going round one, although you did list uh, Alabama running back Josh Jacobs as your pretty much first potential round one player that could fall. I've seen Jacobs going to the Colts and the Eagles, kind of towards the bottom uh, of the first round and uh, some different mocks, but I, I don't know if either of those teams that have just kind of always prioritized committee backfields are going to make that big of a reach, but this really is something we need to pay attention to and kind of draft capital in general because – there's only been eight first-round rookie running backs over the last five years, and all of them except Rashad Penny went on to finish in the top 30 in touches. So if you're getting a first-round pick spent on you and you're a rookie running back, you're going to be a fancy factor from year one. So make sure uh, we keep an eye on that. But, I mean, Matt, we got a bunch of different props here with Jacobs. Where's the value? I mean, just from a, a perspective of kind of thinking about fantasy and, like, evaluating him, I mean, Jacobs, like, he wasn't an accumulator at Alabama. He never had a season of over a 1,000 scrimmage yards, you know, much less rushing yards. So it just seems almost sacrilegious to think of him as a first-round pick. But um, he's going to be a 21-year-old rookie, and he's going to be the first quarter – I mean, the, the first running back off the board. Um, so even, like, from a fantasy perspective, he's going to have value. By the time the draft is over, he will probably be the number one pick in rookie drafts just because, I mean – a 21-year-old running back who's selected in the top 40, top 50, that guy probably deserves to be at the top of the board. So Josh Jacobs, you can bet on him. Minus 400 is the first running back off, off the board. That number is way off. No one else is even coming close in the conversation as the first running back off the board. And in a stronger class, I would be pretty vehement in not betting that line, but this is not a strong class. So this is kind of where we are. So 
I think this number should be closer to minus a thousand. Like, I mean, I think there's a 95% chance, maybe more, that Jacobs is the first running back off the board. And like, I'm trying to be conservative in that number. So yeah, this number minus 400, a lot of value there. Um, and then you can actually bet on uh, one and a half running backs in the first round. Uh, and this number is minus 625. Like, this feels like as big of a lock as any prop that is out there. No other running back uh, in any mock is getting serious consideration as a first rounder. So, I mean, it's a lot of juice to lay, minus 625, but like this number should be like minus 2,000. So there's, there's a lot of value there. Uh, you can bet on exactly one running back. So if Jacobs is drafted in the first round, it's a push. If not, it's a win. Uh, minus 400. I would rather go minus 625 and bet on the one and a half. And then if you don't think that Jacobs is a first round running back, if you think it's going to be around a coin flip, which looking at the the mock drafts that are out there, like that is roughly what it is. Like he's there in like 50 to 60% of the drafts. So if you think that it's a coin flip, there's value in betting under half, 0.5 uh, at plus 140. The draft position is interesting, 34 and a half. Uh, the over is plus 220. The under is minus 270. There are some different numbers out there. There's a pretty widespread. So one number that is out there is 34 and a half, and the over is plus 220. Like if you think he is not a round one guy, uh, I think it makes a lot of sense to bet the over, right? Because you hit it unless someone drafts him at 33 or 34. So you're basically with that betting, he's not drafted in the first round. And then there's another line out there at 24 and a half. So a pretty big spread there. Uh, one thing you potentially could look to do is middle that. But, uh, you know, there, there is some significant juice that you are laying to try to get that middle. So I don't know if I would do that. But uh, yeah, 24 and a half, you can bet under plus 190. Uh, so if you think the Texans at 23 are going to draft him, or you think the Raiders at 24 are going to draft him, there's some pretty good value there. So that might be the way to look uh, at Josh Jacobs. Those will be two backfields we want to pay attention to throughout the draft because uh, right now it's looking like we'll have yet another year of the Lamar Miller feature back experience in uh, Houston and then Oakland. Right now, Isaiah Crowell, believe it or not, is looking like the featured running back uh, for the Raiders. I mean, that's still pending, obviously, the draft, and Marshawn Lynch hasn't really made his plans clear yet. But Isaiah Isaiah Crowell, people, don't forget about him in those best ball drafts. No, it is is very possible that – in my updated mock, I will have Jacobs going to the Raiders, maybe not at 24, but maybe at 27. And if there would be a team to, you know, I, I think it's more feasible for a team like the Raiders with three first-round picks to use one of those on a running back than uh, the Eagles or Colts or one of these other teams. So Yeah, I agree. And, and, like, regardless of the number of picks they have, they seem like the type of organization anyway that would be more inclined to take someone, in, like, like, to take a running back in the first round. For sure, for sure. All right, now we're moving to wide receivers. I haven't really gotten any of, in, any of these guys yet, but you do have uh, each of DK Metcalf, Marquise Brown, and AJ Brown going in the last, I believe, twelve picks of your mock draft. It's been been centered around those three guys for who the first wide receiver drafted will be, but it seems like the former two players have kind of pulled away at this point. Right now, we got DK Metcalf as a minus one forty favorite to be the first wide receiver drafted. Marquise Brown. Hollywood Brown is at plus 225. Matt, what are your feelings here? 
Yeah, um, this is pretty much a coin flip. Uh, so I'm going with Brown at plus 225. I bet this actually at plus 650. <laughs> there, there's one book that, that posted him at plus 650, and I, I bet as much on that as I could. But if you look in the mocks, this is pretty much a coin flip between the two guys. Um, I think there's, I don't know. I mean, so I say it's pretty much a coin flip. I think there's value in both guys, actually, because um, you can find the minus 140 at one book. You can find the plus 225 at another book. If you just bet those two together uh, and kind of balanced it out, I think you would probably make money because I think it's almost a lock that the number one wide receiver is one of those guys. If I had to bet just one of them at this point, it would be Brown. Daniel Jeremiah said that he's convinced that Brown is a first rounder. He feels very comfortable projecting him there, but he said he also thinks there might be only one wide receiver in the first round. Um, That seems a little off to me given that historically, like over the past decade, there have been 3.8 wide receivers drafted in the first round uh, and that this is a pretty decent wide receiver class. But uh, yeah, I think I will go with Brown at at plus 225. And in Matt's mock draft, he has uh, Marquise going the Chiefs at pick 29. And I mean, I hate to compare these prospects that haven't played a down the NFL yet to, you know, long time like NFL studs, but the Deshaun Jackson comps for this guy are really spot on, it seems like. And if you if we're going to add him to that Chiefs offense, I mean, good luck at rest of the NFL. So that would be a whole lot of fun. To see. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the Deshaun Jackson comp makes sense. I am hesitant, though. Like, Brown does kind of scare me in that we don't have the verified 40 time. Even if we assume he's fast, we don't know for sure that he is. He has the Liz Frank foot injury. We're assuming that that's going to heal, that there won't be any long-term issues from that, but that's not always the case. He wasn't productive like Deshaun Jackson in college. Like He was a better receiver, but he didn't have the all-around skill set that Deshaun Jackson exhibited. Like He wasn't the punt or kick returner. He wasn't even like the runner with the ball that Deshaun Jackson was. So um, I still think he's going in round one, um, but he does scare me a little bit from like a projection standpoint. Yeah, shout out to Sean Jackson, one of the best college punt returns ever against Tennessee back in the day. But all right, moving on to the tight end position. We've uh, touched on this a little bit before, but the over-under for round one tight ends is two and a half. Pretty much we're saying Hawkinson and Noah Fant almost assuredly going round one. Question is, will Irv Smith Jr. from Alabama join them? Matt, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, in my mock, I have him going number 32. So just, you know, by the skin of his teeth to the Patriots. And I think that is a realistic option. Uh, They are in the market for a tight end. He is a strong player. You know, like he's a young guy uh, who fits in well. And when the Patriots have drafted tight ends, they have gone with those young guys before. Rob Murkowski, Aaron Hernandez, they were both 21 as rookies. Irv Smith Jr. fits in there. Um, And he was very productive at Alabama. So I could see him going there. um, But I don't know. It's I I think I will probably bet over 300, but probably not. I won't be max betting this. It'll be just a little bit. In in the mocks that I've surveyed, he is not a first rounder in, I don't know, maybe like 67% of them, 75% of them. Um, But I think he has the potential to sneak in. Um, so I don't know. This one is probably a, like close to fairly priced. I think there's maybe a little bit of value on plus 300, but not a lot. What actually kind of interests me is the, the props that have to do with the number of players from a given school that will be drafted. So there's one out there 
there are two different lines that I found, Alabama three and a half and Alabama two and a half. So Quinn and Williams and Jonah Williams are locked into the first round. So maybe Josh Jacobs and then Irv Smith is the possibility. If you are someone who doesn't think that Josh Jacobs is going to be drafted, then under three and a half provides some value. So that might be one to look at. But the real prop that catches my eye for uh, players from a school is Clemson two and a half over minus 120 because I think they could have three defensive linemen who are drafted in the first round. Uh, Their edge, Cleveland Farrell, and then defensive tackles, Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence. They've consistently been in the first round of my mock. uh, And all three of those guys are consistently in the first rounds of many of the mocks that are out there. So I think there's pretty significant value in uh, two and a half over uh, for the Clemson players. Yeah, I'm not sure quite what his uh, stock is at, but I know uh, their cornerback at Clemson, Trayvon Mullen, has received some hype as well. So, yeah, I'm with you. That Clemson line especially seems too low. All right, and quickly, we'll stay with the defensive backs in our last little segment here. First defensive back off the board, we have Greedy Williams from LSU at plus 100, followed by Byron Murphy at plus 275. Matt, what are your thoughts here? Okay, so this, like, this literally is a true coin flip. In the 20 mocks that I surveyed, they had the exact same average draft position. With Murphy actually, even though he's not as athletic as Greedy, Murphy actually having the, the better median. And the, the thing is that like Greedy is the better, he's the more athletic guy. He's the better press cover corner, but Murphy is the better like all around guy. He's much better in zone. Um, he's still good in man. And um, he's a much more willing tackler. So like if there are teams that just kind of want what Murphy does, they're going to go with Murphy, even though Williams is kind of like, quote unquote, like the better prospect. So yeah, I, I like Murphy and to be able to get him at plus 275 on something that really is like a, a 50-50 outcome, um, that is really what I'm going to be doing. And Greedy Williams, I mean, he has a wide range of draft outcomes. Like he could go in the top 10, but he could also, like he really could fall out of the first round. Like that has happened in more than, uh, like more than one mock. Like it's like, that is conceivable. Um, but Byron Murphy, like he is locked into the first round. Like everyone has him going anywhere from like pick 19 to pick 27. Like he's, he's going in the first round. It would not be surprising if he were drafted ahead of, of Williams. So for something that's 50 50 plus 275 is a gift. And then one more prop for defensive backs. I've have found under five and a half out there at minus 278. And I've even found under four and a half at minus 134. Uh, and I really like the under there. It's possible that no safety is drafted in round one. I don't have one mocked in my first round uh, draft. And, um, and some of the others that are out there, a lot of them don't have a safety. They have maybe one safety. And then Greedy and Murphy at cornerback are the only guys that are locked into round one. Some drafts have DeAndre Baker. Some drafts have, have another cornerback. Uh, you know, it can, it can vary mock to mock. But it's rare to find a mock out there that has more than five uh, defensive backs. So I think there's pretty significant value at minus 278. Yeah, agreed. Out of the props, I think we went over that under right there. Might be my favorite one. Yeah, I mean, it's again, it is it is hard to find a mock out there that has six or more defensive backs. So, uh, I mean, I think that that numbers off. 
you might not be able to find it in the market. Most books have four and a half, but I think that there is still uh, a five and a half out there at a book or two. So uh, definitely something to, to try to find. Uh, Ian, what, uh, what are the pieces that you will have coming out before uh, and or after the draft? Yeah, I've been uh, waiting for this draft to get over with so I can get grinding again. But I'm doing a historical analysis on the first round quarterbacks over the last 10 years, seeing their hit and miss rate, fantasy impact as rookies, looking at how much draft round impacts the rookie year opportunity at each position. So it'll give us a better idea of you know, how much we should expect from a third-round running back versus six-round running back. Then also what teams have fantasy-friendly offensive holes that could be filled on draft day. So a bunch of stuff, like I said, after the draft, we're going to be in full-on NFL offseason mode, and I cannot wait, people. All right, that is going to do it for this episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. Please rate and review the show in iTunes. For Ian, I'm Matthew Friedman, Matt at the Oracle. See you again next episode. 